Well, good morning. Well, happy new year again. It's good to see you all. It's uh, next week we start our series on Second Corinthians, but we got one more uh, what we would what people call topical messages. And uh, today, oh, I'm supposed to dismiss the kids. No, they're in here. They're in here. Okay. Stuart, you got where's Stuart? I got my radio. There you go. Sorry. Got us off to a bad start, really. Didn't read the text, and it's all, all messed up. Okay, through this. Um, so, uh, topical message. So, last week, uh, Pastor Trace uh, taught on excellence. And one thing uh, Trace and I have been speaking about in our elders' meetings and praying about is this idea of what uh, we would call the whole person concept. Uh, and the idea actually is, is interesting uh, of how this came to be is... Most of you uh, are active duty or some affiliation with military. So by nature, you are forced to work out. You get paid to take care of yourself, whether you want to or not. But some bad news for the rest of us is once you're out of the military, is nobody cares what you do to your body, right? Uh, matter of fact, the body is in a, a state of decline. And so Trace and I actually had the same epiphany at the same time. So after COVID, everyone had been really lazy and lackadaisical. And at the same time, for every reason the Spirit of God moved on both arts, we both started taking better care of ourselves. So my wife and I, we started walking, we started jogging, and we started running. And Trace was doing the same thing, started working out, got involved in the ministry, uh, around working out. Trace, how, how much weight have you lost to date? 25 pounds. 25 pounds. Like, and again, it's like, yeah. Hey, I mean, it's good, right? 25 pounds is really good. <laughs> But one of the epiphanies we had, because now we're both in our mid to later 40s, is that how many other things started to go right in our lives once you started taking care of the physical body? So prior life got easier, eating healthier got easier, our spiritual lives, our mental well-being, all these things begin to straighten itself out. And we were praying and seeking the Lord for quite a bit of time as, as how to encourage the congregation where we can be really strong spiritually. And you read the Bible and you pray and you do all these things. But the Bible calls our body the temple. If you don't take care of this, it's still you're a little bit broken. Amen? And the idea is the same thing. We have mental issues where it's like, hey, your body is in great health, but maybe your soul, maybe your mind, your will, your emotions are broken. Like maybe you just have an unhealthy thought life. You're still not complete in God. Amen? So what we want to talk about today is these three parts, what we're, not, what we're calling like it's our original idea, what the Bible would call our spirit, our soul, and our body. So we want to talk about these three things, the idea of a whole person concept. So of course, if you have questions, please text them in. Uh, Trace and I will come up here at the end of the message and we would love to answer them. And the reason we're doing this message now and not kicking off in 2 Corinthians, because this is a theme uh, we think the Lord placed in our hearts to run the rest of this year. We're after whole person ministry, right? So normally at church, we focus on the spiritual side. We teach the Bible and all these things. Uh, but we want to encourage like health and well-being in all areas that God has created us in. Amen? So it doesn't mean we're not going to be going through the books of the Bible, but you're going to see a lot of our emphasis and what we're praying about is just being whole and complete in the Lord. Amen? And that's mental, it's physical, and spiritual. So last week, Pastor Trace kicked this off with excellence. And we see that excellence is not being better than someone else. Right? Is that excellence? No, not, not, not the real biblical definition. Excellence is being better than you were. It's about taking what God has given you and capitalizing and maximizing on those gifts that God gave you. Amen? That's what the spirit of excellence is. It's not letting the gift lie dormant. Amen? And so we see the excellence, therefore, 
is a matter of stewardship. God has given you something. How are you taking care of it? Now, the Bible is very clear that he's given to each one of us something different, something unique, and something special. Part of our life's journey is finding out what that is. Amen? And some of the things are just very apparent to some people. So, who created our bodies that we live in? Yeah, it's not a trick question. Right? Yeah, through the help of our parents, right? But we, we get the idea from the scripture that God knits us together in the womb. So your body, this, this flesh you're in, is, is a gift from the Lord. So how do we steward that gift? Amen? Some of you have innate musical abilities. It's your job is to practice, to learn how to use those gifts. Some of you are artists. Some of you are communicators. Some of you are encouragers. Some of you are givers. Amen? Some people just have the gift of empathy. Some people have the gift of being there. Because that's a rare gift, people being there when you need somebody. Amen? So we all have these different gifts, but it's our job is to steward them and to use them. Because like anything else, if we don't use them, the gifts atrophy. Just like the body, if you don't use the body, what happens to it? It atrophies. It stops growing. It gets fatty. It doesn't get as lean and all these things. So excellence is a matter of stewardship. So when we talk about the spirit, soul, and body, please realize this is the underpinning. It's not being better. It's not so you can have a better six-pack or a bikini body. It's not so you can you know, have all the scripture memorized. It's just being better than you were. It's about taking care and stewarding what God has given you. Amen? Good, we're going to talk about how to do this and how to do it reasonably. Um, okay, so our text comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Um, the idea of spirit, soul, and body is kind of a contested one among scholars. It's like, does the Bible really teach the idea that man is made of these three parts? Some people argue, hey, this is just a Greek idea. This isn't necessarily a scriptural idea. I'm not going to try to prove to you from the scripture. I think it's a scriptural idea. I'm just going to mention a couple things. We'll talk about it. And if you guys want to debate about it, we can. But 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. So if you would just go with me on this idea. Again, some of you may have thought about this. What's the difference between the spirit and the soul? Man, it's... It actually is a very deep theological conversation. Uh, but for our sake today, I'm going to divide these things. So I define the spirit as the real you. This is what gets born again when you come to Christ. The Bible says you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that God is a spirit. Now, we are made in his image, right? So we are a spiritual creature as well. The soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. This is really our thought process. The Bible actually calls this your heart, right? But the Bible didn't really know that thoughts came from the brain when people wrote this thing. So you, you'll see language in the heart. But this would be our soul. Our, it's really who we think we are, right? Like it's this thought process center. And then, of course, the body is easy because we can all see it. That's how we operate in this world that God created is our body. Now, we see throughout Scripture people uh, differentiating these parts. Uh, Mary did it in Luke uh, chapter 1. I I put this uh, screen up here because I'll show you the Greek words. It says, my soul, my psyche magnifies the Lord, and my spirit, pneuma, like where we get the word pneumatic, like breath, my pneuma rejoices in God my Savior. So you see her, her differentiating this idea of her mind and her spirit. Hebrews 4.12 teaches us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul 
and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and the discerning, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4 teaches us that the spirit and the soul are so closely tied that only the word of God can separate them. So this is where people have the hang up. It's like, what's the difference between my spirit and my soul? Friends, they, our soul is and our spirit, they're basically one, but the word of God can actually divide these things. Does that make sense? Maybe not, but maybe you get the concept. Um, it's a fascinating idea that our thoughts and our, our, our real us, but I, I think I've explained this before and I won't go too deep in it, but we have, you guys remember Shrek? And uh, he's like, of course he said, ogres are like what? Onions. Thank you. Nobody said parfait. Okay. You know what else about layers? Yeah, onions. Yeah, because onions have layers. And men and women, we're a lot like this. Is that we have the exterior of what we present out to the world, what we want people to know about us. Peel back another layer. There's another layer now that maybe my close friends know about me, and I allow them to see. You peel back another layer. And this might be the layer that my kids and my, and my kids know and my wife know, right? Like who I am at home and nobody else in the Maybe even a deep layer that only my wife really knows some of the thoughts and the things I think that I only share with my wife. But there's another layer, and that's the real thing. That we hide even from our spouses, that we hide from the world and that we know about ourselves. And we may even lie to ourselves, but this is, the Bible actually knows, God actually knows that real person. And part of the life's journey is letting that real person come out of that. Right? Like God really wants that to be the person that's on the outside so that we're not like an onion. We're just plain. Amen? Like we're just a solid uh, onion ball. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going with this. This was not in my notes, but I, hope, I want you to see that. But that's what the spirit and soul is. It's so deep to the real person that the word can actually penetrate to it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul is talking about praying in the spirit. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So we can see here that the spirit can operate independently from the mind. That's what some of these gifts of the spirit are, where God's spirit working in conjunction with our spirit can actually accomplish this thing that our minds quite don't understand or don't know what to do. Have you ever like wanted to pray like, Lord, I don't know what to pray? The Spirit is able to pray through you for the will of God, even though your mind doesn't really know what I'm praying. That's the idea of the Spirit in you praying, interceding correctly to God. It's awesome. So our spirit and our mind can operate and do operate independently, but they are closely tied. So let's dive into this. Let's talk about our spirit. So this is the first one. So if this is the real us, if this is what God has redeemed in us uh, when we get born again, I said up front that God is a spirit. The scripture teaches us that. And we are made in his image. Now this idea goes back to Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 7. It says, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. Listen, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. All the scripture teaches us that everything that is alive on this planet is because of the breath of God, which is his spirit. I actually did a a rather in-depth teaching on this. This is a, a, one of the more fascinating themes in the Bible of God's breath, uh, which is the spirit. When Jesus destroys the Antichrist, how does he do it? With his breath. The breath of the Almighty. He, 
That's the first time his breath is used to kill. It's fascinating. But throughout the rest of the Bible, his breath gives life. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job 27, 3 says, As long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in where? Genesis said, where did God breathe life in the man? His nostrils. As long as the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Some of you with a deviated septum, you're worried right now. Do not worry about it. (laughs) It's painting an image, right, where God is, we live because the Spirit of God allows us to have breath. I mean, you can't get away from this in the Scripture. It's his breath in our nostrils. Um, Fascinating. So the spirit, so when God recreates the spirit and makes it new, this is 100% all God. We cannot create a new spirit in us. This is the gift of grace, amen? That when we believe in Jesus and we become born again, there's nothing else you need to do to make your spirit right. God has done this for you. This is the gift, amen? Now this new creation lives on the inside of us. Now the problem is when we get born again, we still think the same way. Our body still looks the same. We still act the same way. we got a real problem here because the Bible says, I now have this perfect spirit made and formed after the image of God, and I still have all these problems in my flesh. I still want to sin. I still want to be me. This is what's really tough about learning and becoming a Christian because you have all this joy of God forgiving your sin, and you've had all these life-changing moments, and then after all, you know, the rejoicing is done with everyone in your family and someone's got born again, now becomes the real work what we call sanctification. Becoming more like Christ. Like I have to learn to crucify my flesh. I have to learn to change my mind. I have to change. But now, because the Spirit of God lives in us, I'm able to change. Because before Christ, try as we might, we really can't change. We will go back to old ways. One of the reasons in my heart I know the Spirit is active and real is because I've seen men and women change. Terrible people become Made up the image of Christ, right? Has anyone watched somebody's life change as they began to follow Jesus? And it is mind-blowing. And so when I say that the Spirit is all God, God is in all of these, right? He's the impetus, he's the source, he's the engine. But we're, the reason why we're talking about this, because if God just did everything, we just he's just going to do what he's going to do, right? The problem is, is you have a responsibility now to work on these other two areas. God has given you a Spirit by his great grace. You're responsible now for the temple you're in, what you do in the flesh, and you're responsible for what you're putting up in your soul. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. So, number two, soul. So we see the Spirit is God. Um, I take it if you're following Christ, congratulations, you have a beautiful, perfect spirit right now. Soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Think about that. Your mind, your will, your emotions your thoughts, what you want done, your will, and your emotions, how you respond to things in this natural world, how you think about things. We we are complex creatures. All these things go into it. We think things about things. We feel things about things. And we want things to be done a certain way. Amen? And then we respond. It's like a feedback loop. When things don't get done our way, we have new feelings introduced to this. And if it goes on long enough, the signal gets stronger and stronger. We become angry or sad or depressed. 
You guys have a feedback loop with right? Um, and it's not good. So the Bible has a lot to say about all three of these things, how to fix them and how to align them. Uh, again, because we don't want to be here till tonight, I'm going to give you just a couple ideas, but if, if any of these things speak to you, do, do the work. Research these things. Or talk to us, and we'll point you in another direction, because there's a lot to say. Here's the easiest one, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This verse tackles all these things. First of all, we don't want to be conformed. We want to be transformed. The idea of conforming means to look like something, right? Um, I wish I had a ball of clay because if I, I could shape it. I could conform it to the shape of my hand or wh- whatever is going on here. But the Bible says we shouldn't be conformed to what's around us. We should be transformed by what he says. What is transforming means to utterly change into something different. Like a transformer, right? Hey, it's a car. Oh my gosh, no, it's a Decepticon, right? Like it's a, this is killing robots. It's totally different. And so we're not to conform or to be transformed. And we do it by the word of God. This is the number one tool God has given us to begin to change our mind. It says here, it says, discern the will of God. See, the key to Christianity is, is getting our wills to line up with God's will. So if our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, the toughest thing in the world is to change my will to line up with God's will. Because I realize there is somebody else's will who whose will is greater than my will. My will today, I've really been craving a really good sandwich, like a good delicatessen sandwich. Preferably toasted, preferably with cheese. I got some ideas where I want it from, and the wife is 100% not interested in my, my will for lunch. She's like, I like it. Um, that's silly. I don't like this example. Let's stop there. Um, let's be serious about this. So God's will um, to love our enemies. But I want to hold a grudge against them. This is a much better example. I like scripture example. As a preacher, make a note. You should use scripture examples. That's good. <laughs> trying to talk to wife and going to fire that stuff. No. <laughs> yeah. God's expressible, and there's no debating this, that God wants us to love and pray for our enemies. And yet, how often do we like to hold on to things against people? I don't like that person. Talk them up. Beat them up. So, how do I get my mind now to do God's will instead of my will? My will wants to trash them, make fun of them, ignore them, be mean to them. Is remind myself. You've got to read this thing. You've got to put it like, Lord, I surrender to your will. Jesus, when he was to go to the cross, may surprise you to learn that at the, the night before he was like, I don't want to do this. He straight up said that. Lord, if there's any other way, nevertheless, what did he say? Man, that's heavy. There's a lot of things we don't want to do in this life, and surrendering to God's will, learning to do that, proving what is God's will, is key. Okay. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Again, in the Bible, the word heart is kind of synonymous with our mind, our soul. Everything, like your life, is a result of the things you think and the things you act on. Now I realize some things in life happen to us. 
we didn't get to choose who our parents were, our upbringing. I, I, I get all that. Some of us have some seriously sad stories about how life started out for us. But there's a point in human's life when they have to take now responsibility for where they're at. And some people had all the opportunities in the world and they squandered it. And some people have no, absolutely nothing and then they go on to great things. And this isn't meant to be a pep talk or a feel-good message. But if you haven't begun to take responsibility for where you're at in your life, it's time. Amen? You take that hard look in the mirror and that it is... It, Everyone's got their tail of war, but looking to God said, all right, God, let's, let's, let's get it. Let's go on with this. Amen? Just looking at yourself. So how do we do this? The course of your life now is what you've let into your heart. And this is why parenting is such a big deal, because some people's hearts get poisoned right out of the gate. Kids being told they're worthless, or they'll never do this, blah, blah, blah. You, you've heard all the sad stories. And so they start off in life thinking, I, I'm, I'm nobody. Right? What's in your heart determines the course of your life. So what do we have to put into our heart then to improve our lives? That's right. You have to find out and understand what the promises of God are. You have to meditate on these things. You have to begin to feed your heart, your mind, good things. Like meditating on all the negativity in the world, is that goes somewhere. It has an effect on your life. Uh, years ago, when I was in the Air Force, this was 20 years ago. I used to listen to talk radio all the time. And I would just be fired up all day about politics. I'm just angry about stuff. None of that stuff mattered. I know you guys, some of you all don't remember. George Bush's first administration, the end of the Clinton administration, nobody cares what the senators were doing back then. Life just goes on, right? It's just all nonsense. It was just made to make me angry about stuff. It didn't feed my spirit. Didn't do anything good for me. But the things that fed on back then, because I was a new Christian, have paid in spades in my life, memorizing the scripture, learning how to love. So I can see the dead, dead stuff that I fed my soul. I saw the stuff, and 20 years later, the stuff is still paying in spades. Like the reading and memorization and the praying and, and trying to understand this Bible as a new Christian. So what does that mean? Is that you have the opportunity right now is to change these things. I want to encourage you that you're never too old to actually change the course of your life. Your life, like five years, is, as fast as it goes, is a long time. Your life can look totally different here in a year. Like, like think about it. Like you, let's say, like Trace, let's say you lost 20 pounds. How would that impact your life or your health, like your cholesterol, if you're on statins or other, other drugs? Let's say you work this year to begin to repair your relationships. Maybe just reading a single verse a day and trying to memorize it. Or praying more. Life is a compounding effect, just like investing. Right? Like doing it one time. Going for a run today and not doing it the rest of the year. I, I'm sorry to tell you, your heart is no better off. Your weight, your cholesterol, you're no better off. However, consistently doing that throughout the year, you're going to reap the benefits of, of exercise. Amen? So it is with reading the word and praying. Yeah, reading the word one day may encourage you today. You've got to do it again tomorrow. You've got to learn these spiritual disciplines. And the growth comes, just like the gym, is doing it consistently. It doesn't matter if you're only lifting five pounds. Be consistent. If you can only give the Lord, hey, I can only read one chapter a day, half a chapter, a sentence. I promise you that is much more productive than not doing anything. Start where you're at. 
And if we're going to try to change our, our minds, if we're trying to renew this thing, the world has put a lot of stuff into us, and it's going to take some time to get it out. Some of the things you think, I guarantee you there's problems, there's things you think about that are so ungodly that you don't even know it's ungodly right now. Because it's just who you, how you think the world works. And the word is like a medicine. It begins to go in there and clean this out. The word actually starts to show you. I had no idea I thought like this. I had no idea. I had never forgiven that person. I had no idea I wasn't walking in love here. Like we're, sometimes we're just so blind to how terrible we are. Right? We just can't see it. And I remember in Bible college, I love this example. They said, God is so gracious that if he shined the light on everything we're doing wrong, we would just fall apart. But, but it's not Christ-like. We're like, okay, I'm just helpless. But he shows us one thing at a time, or two things. Right? Hey, you're working on this, you're working on this, you're working on this. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. The Bible gives us a very nice list here of things you should meditate on. Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Right? Should you be meditating on what an idiot your coworker is? This is a real life example. Does anyone work with? I should say, idiot, the Bible says that. Does anyone work with somebody that is less than somebody ideal that you want to work with? Okay, five of us. The rest of you are working in paradise. Six. Okay, thank you very much. Maybe you're that person. If you didn't raise your hand, you're that person. But but I know when like my wife gets home from work or I get home from work, I've said it too. So I'm not judging. Like, she'll hear me on Teams meetings, and like, uh, I, I travel up working, so when I do work from home, I have a lot of online meetings. I'll mute my microphone, and I'll triple check it if I'm doing I'm very serious about this. Now, like, you hear this guy talking, this guy's totally idiot. Why would I ever, I mean, I said it, but why does my wife need to know that I think this guy's a, a, a ding-dong, right? How does this help us? How is that Christ-like? It, I mean, it just violates everything, like, James talks about. And then I'll come here on Sunday and say, this is going good, friends. <laughs> Literally, yesterday, I'm like, look, get a load of this moron. And it's funny, but I wonder if you guys do these things, too. And Philippians says, like, why am I even giving this a second thought in my life? Why don't I say, you know, when another person talks, man, this is probably the sharpest guy I work with. That's nice, right? I really like working for my boss. This guy, he's really kind. It's just learning to change these small things in your life. Instead of tearing things down, how about we do what God does and lift things up? Amen? Amen? I know, there's small changes, friends. But remember, what's going on in our heart dictates the course of our life. When people speak about me, I pray they would actually say the good parts of me and not the parts that annoy them. If we just think about it like real life, well, that guy's annoying, huh? That would hurt. Like, that would really hurt. And it's probably true. But if somebody says, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's fun, you know, playing table tennis. Find something good about That actually would encourage me. You've heard me use this example. Does it, think back to your youngest age where you can start to remember things. Mine is always like middle school. Does anyone remember something mean somebody said to them? Yes. Like it hurts. I'll tell you mine, because mine's super embarrassing. The prettiest girl at the school, her name was, she'll never listen to this, but her name was Bree Williams. Super was the cute girl at school. I was drinking the chocolate milk in the fifth grade, sixth grade. 
And it looked like this. And you know you're a kid, right? You get chocolate milk, you're going to house up. And you're going to work. <laughs> and the kids today say, go, go ham on it. So I tilted my head like this. And she said, really loud, you look like a turtle. <laughs> so for the rest of the week, everybody called me turtle. <laughs> Praise God, that did not stick. <laughs> I'm still wounded and embarrassed. Like, I cringe thinking about, like, that I was drinking a chocolate milk, and I look back, and I probably had it on my face, you know, sixth grade boy, you know, probably had B.O. <laughs> I had a mold. This was the, you know, early 80s, right? This is, this is 85, man. It was rough. Had some neon going on. And it's just embarrassing. Now, if, so we have that. Now, does anyone remember a time when somebody said something to you, a compliment, and it stuck with you and encourages you, like, just lifted you up? Do we have that going on? Mine is also in high school now. And we were in, I forgot what class was. And it's so silly. This is why I want to, this is just the power of words. It's a very silly example. And, and we were reading a software, like Lord of the Flies, one of those things. And the, the teacher posed a question. said, hey, if we were all trapped on an island, who would be the leader? Now, in that class was actually one of the more popular guys at the school. His name was Brian. And the whole class said Brian. But then the whole class said, he goes, but Michael Young would actually really be running it. Brian would be the guy up front, but Michael would be running it. A, I was shocked at both of them. And I was just so complimented that somebody saw leadership. Nobody had ever told me. I didn't know that was anything. I was just a dumb kid going through school. I was in the band, rocking the trumpet. But just the fact that a group of people thought that I would actually learn something if everything fell apart. Now, as silly as that is, man, that changed the trajectory of my life, what I thought about myself. My self-esteem improved that day. I actually started to think, I was like, hey, maybe I should be involved in being leadership or doing things. And I always wonder, I've always found myself in leadership positions, whether at work, in the military, in church. I wonder if it actually stems from that confidence. I know all of us have, all of us can develop leadership. All of you, I mean, I, I think this is, I think leadership is something that is learned. Some people do have a gift. But I just wonder if, like, somebody encouraged me in that, and I just took it and ran. Because now I realize this was possible in my life. So we talk about thinking and meditating on things, and the words we speak. And, um, like, the Bible's very clear. It's what goes in has to come out. What's in your heart will come out of your mouth. So hopefully you're seeing this time. Like, why, why does God want to change this? It's not just because so we can act like we're perfect Christians. It's because our words... Our self-talk is just as powerful, right? And I, I think about those two things in my life, and as silly as they are, there they are. And I'm sure you all have your stories when somebody encouraged you or said you could do something. It's like, wow, you can really sing. Wow, you can really play guitar. Wow, you're really good at math. Like, wow, your handwriting's really nice. It can be totally benign. But it does something to you where you, somebody now has noticed something excellent. Here's not in the notes. Maybe we as Christians should be that people that just say good things about people because you just never know. Like, just it may be totally benign, just man, you you praise somebody for something. That could just be what they needed to put them in the right direction, letting God use you. But for for today's sake, I want you also to focus in on how do you talk to yourself. So, we're talking about spiritual care, right? The idea of that we're growing. Have you ever thought about what you think about? What do you think about yourself? 
when you say, I'm not good at this, or I'm not very blah, 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 blah. Do you tear yourself down, or do you lift yourself up? Now, lifting yourself up, you know, we can become prideful, conceited, these aren't good things. But here's the standard. What do we say about ourselves according to the Bible? Yeah. Made in his image, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. He is with me. Yeah, this is a tough time, but God, you are with me. Right? If you're meditating on your woes or the trials you're going through, that's a healthy way to do it. Yeah, this is not my favorite season in life, but you are with me, and I rod and I staff. They comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, Lord. I can do this. I can do this because you're with me. That's, that's correct self-talk. Not, why does this always happen to me? Why does it always rain? Why, why? Is this my lot in life? This sucks. Everything sucks. Everything's bad. You've got to break the cycle. And the way to do it is to inject into it. It's not denying what you're going through. It's putting God back into the equation. Amen? Okay. First Peter 5, this is not on the screen, but it says First First uh, Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Psalm 56, 3 says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. See, a lot of mental health has to go as like, we have somebody to trust right now. You have somebody who is greater than anything that we could ever face. And how many people really truly cast, give Jesus their cares? I'm not saying lip service, Lord, take this and then you sit there and dwell on it. If you give somebody something, it's not yours anymore. So correct self-talk looks like, no, I've given that to the Lord. Can I tell, I'll tell you something. Uh, please just, like, hopefully you believe me because you're here and listen to me. I know you don't walk out. The greatest thing I've learned in Christianity is learning to speak out loud to myself. Words have a lot of power. And if I'm in a negative frame of mind thinking about it, I will literally say out loud, that's not true. The word says, there's something very powerful about hearing my own voice and I'm telling you, it snaps me out of it. So if you can get by yourself, and the Bible, David says he encouraged him. Bless the Lord, all my soul. He encouraged himself in the Lord. What does that mean? He sat there and he spoke to himself. And he wrote these beautiful psalms. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Who redeems my life from destruction. Who crowns my life with goodness. He satisfies my mouth with good things. Right? He, he encouraged himself. Get by yourself and encourage yourself. If you are stuck in one of these destructive patterns, like, no, that's not true. The Lord is with me. That's not true. I am good. Because God is with me. Amen? It's trusting him. If you're worried, like, financially, I, I, let's, let's just say you don't have enough to make the month. Hey, I don't know if I'm going to put gas in my car, buy groceries, or, or pay the rent or the mortgage. I'd like, hey, this isn't going to work out. They're going to take my car. Let's say you're stressed What's a better self-talk? The Lord will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Lord, I pray. I give this to you. Lord, help me find a way to do this. Okay, you pray. An hour later, you're like, they're going to take my car. No, stop. I've prayed. I've given it to the Lord. That's exactly what I would say. Lord, I've already given it to you. Please take this from me. And it's going to come back again. I promise you, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to be disciplined. Amen? Once you learn to do that, life gets a lot easier. That's what I wanted to tell you. Learning to talk to yourself, learning to speak to your problems, learning to just learning to do that and not feeling weird about it. It's just helped me clear up my mind and get rid of the clutter and the noise and the anxiety and the worry. 
Matthew 6.27, also not on your screen, it says, And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Worry and all these things that go on in the mind, there's nothing productive that happens there. So learning to get rid of these things, it's a very natural thing to worry. But learning how to control these emotions and what we think about these things is very important to control. And this is the start of a healthy life. So... Uh, does anyone want to, is anyone here a uh, worry wart, what we would call it in my house? <laughs> One, half a hand, a two, Michelle. You're the company. I'm an overthinker. I, I wouldn't say a worrier, but I'm an overthinker on all these things. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, we've got to learn to control these things. If you worry about it, like, hey, you know, my, my, Mom's going in for surgery, or my daughter, or my wife, or my husband, or whatever's going on. Worrying about it doesn't change whether they'll make it out of that surgery. All it's doing is causing stress and problems in your life. So learning to give these to the Lord is going to help you tremendously. Amen? Amen. Enough on that. Lastly, the body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 teaches us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. When you come to Christ, you were actually, the Bible says you were redeemed. You were purchased. You were brought back from the kingdom of darkness over his kingdom. He says that your body was part of the acquisition. (laughs) Surprise! He wants that too. Now we spoke about this recently, is God's whole plan of redemption. He saved us spiritually. You know that one day when we get a new body, he redeems everything, right? The mind and the body right now, the body is still perishing. The mind has to be renewed. But our body is heading back to the dust, whether we like it or not. Every day we're a step closer. Not to be gray, dark. It is what it is. We all know this. The last enemy to be defeated is what? Death. We get a new body. Paul says that we do not know yet what we will be, but when we see him, we will be like him. We'll have a body like Jesus. Jesus ate. He, he had a physical being. We're not going to be these weird spirits floating around the sky and playing harps. We'll have bodies. It's always been the plan. God made us with bodies. He will redeem the body. He'll purchase the body. So the idea now that the spirit lives in us and he, li- and he calls our body a temple He encourages us to glorify God in our body. Now, earlier in that verse, this is not on the screen, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says this, But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So, in context, Paul is talking about sin, sexual sin, like what we're doing with the body. But I want to, there's that. Then I want you to think about how you care for your physical body. As I told you at the very beginning, Trace and I had this great epiphany after you know, taking it quite a few years off uh, COVID and then taking care of ourselves and watching things fix themselves mentally, spiritually, all these things, the whole person concept is the body God gave you, you, you get one body. 
Now, some of us have, were born with some issues in our body. Some issues you know, came upon us through accidents. You know, people had car accidents and all sorts of terrible things. But that doesn't change the fact that it's a gift. Your flesh is a gift created for you by God. And he expects you to take care of it. He doesn't expect you to fornicate in this body. He doesn't expect you to sin in this body. Right? So that's a given. But what are you feeding this body? How are you taking care of it? See, 2,000 years ago, when the New Testament was written, these people worked. Pulling the nets to work in the fields and building houses. Like, you live the physical existence. Everyone, men, women, washing clothes, like everything works. Now our existence is we work on these things. We sit for hours at a time. We don't walk miles and miles to go to places. We jump in a car and we sit. So, you think, why did the, Paul actually says at one point, well, yeah, bodily exercise profits the body a little, but spiritual exercise yeah, profits everything. That's true. But it means so much more to us now because we don't work like they used to work. And not because we're lazy. Our society has changed. Technology has changed. So we have to now put stress and work on our bodies. We have to take care of these things. Right? Getting out and moving. Don't let your physical temple become atrophied. Right? Like there's a time we're going to get old enough or something will happen and we will no longer have a choice in this matter. Right? Just physically can't do this anymore as much as I would like to. But taking care of yourself will make sure that that day comes a lot later than why, why are you, I'm telling you the obvious here. Most of you in this room are younger, and like I said, you're in the military. And it seems so foreign and so far away. But it is easier now to start these good disciplines in your life than when you're 50 or 60 years old. It's tough in your late 40s, me, to get out there and start running two, three, four, five, six miles. And I, if I had been stuck with it since my 20s, it's just easy. Like it's a habit, it's a discipline. But getting off your butt and trying to change these things is tough. So develop these good things now. Now, so what is my advice to you? If you haven't done anything, if you've been not taking care of the body, not, you're not eating right, not fueling yourself right, going all in is you're asking to hurt yourself and you're, you're going to quit. My wife had a surgery a year and a half, two years ago. And it was enough where her mom flew in. And you know, she couldn't go up the stairs. And one of the things, Doc said, hey, after a week or two weeks, you need to start walking. And when we started walking, she was literally holding my arm. Right? And we would, we started just walking around the house. And my wife came on. And uh, I said, all right, cool, walk around the house. And I said, hey, let's walk outside of the mailbox. The mailbox is a big adventure. We three weeks went to the mailbox. And then we're like, hey, let's walk around the neighborhood. Walk around our, our, our neighborhood. And we walked out to the neighborhood. A week later, we're like, hey, look at us. Now she's walking totally normal. We're just walking and we're talking. And, we have to, and I'm doing this to be with her, but to encourage her, hey, we've got to get out and stretch the muscles out and all these kind of things. We say, hey, we should jog her. You know, we're running a mile. Stopping every quarter of a mile, right? Suck wind for a little bit. Now we're, now, we're, now we're running a mile. Now we're running two miles. And my wife had this one idea. She goes, we, have, we call it the big loop in our house. We have a pretty big elevation climb out of our neighborhood. But the whole loop is about four miles. Probably about 400 feet elevation. Right? So you, you kind of run down the street and you run up this really big hill. It's a four mile loop. 
She's like, I want to run the big loop. I was like, you're crazy. You're never going to run four miles. Like, Think about it. You're in your 40s. You just had surgery. When we did the big loop like two weeks later, like, you know how proud we were? Like, yes. Like, we just did the four-mile loop up a hill. And, you know, our hearts are still here. Nobody died. And now that big loop is a joke. Like, I'm going to go run the big loop just to warm up. It's like, this is stupid. Run four miles. Fights a homeless guy on the way back. She's awesome. She's terrible. So what's the point of this story? It started with walking to the mailbox. How to make a change in your life is just start. Trey said last week, excellence is not being better. Man, there are some of you in here that would just kill me on the track. Like my wife, you run with us. We would just slow you down. We are so much better than we were last year. Where we were stopping, we couldn't run a mile without stopping. Doubling over, blowing your hamstring out, you know, because you walked up a hill. We're better. We're a lot better. That's excellence. I'm not the best. I'm probably in the lowest 10 percentile in this room. So how do you get better in all these areas? Take care of yourself. Maybe it's just changing out one meal. If you eat out all the time, maybe that one meal, maybe you go home and make yourself a sandwich. Maybe it's walking around your neighborhood. I promise you, it's cumulative. That one walk will turn into a longer walk. I promise you, you'll get bored. You're like, this is so easy. Yeah, like when I first did it, you know, like my feet hurt. You hear what I'm saying? I'm like, I want to end this message. Here's our encouragement. If humanity is a three-legged table, and one of these legs are broken, you're not complete. You're wobbly, you're unstable. And you may not know it. If you haven't been taking care of yourself, once you feel the difference, once you, you'll realize it's a force multiplier on your spiritual and mental life. You're like, what does fixing my body have to do with my mental health? I can't explain it. It fixes it. It helps it. Right? And if your mental life is broken and you're, you're spiritually strong, you have no idea what you're missing on thinking about things and doing things correctly. Like just how you're going to view the world and going out into the space, fixing what is going on here. All of us are in different areas. And so if you're deficient in one of these areas, here's the ask for tracing is identify it and begin to make changes on it. The scripture we started off with says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. If you have a Bible, you should underline that. Completely. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. We want to be complete human beings. Amen? And God's grace and his redemptive power has made a way where all three parts of the human can be fixed. First one was a given. He gave, it, he gave us the ability by giving us the spirit. Now we have work to do on the other two. What we do in the body, what we feed the body, how we treat the body, what we feed our mind, what we meditate on, how we speak, how we go out in this world, that's our job. But he's given us the spirit to help us and to enable us. And don't go out there and try to bench 400 pounds. Just start with the bar. Don't injure yourself or just be like, I can't do this. It's too tough. Start where you're at. Ask the Lord how to start and then do it. Amen? Discipline. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.